0: Good morning. Good morning. And all of you back there in the back. <laughs> the bleachers are full this morning. Glad you're here. Amen. Hey, um, Pat just gave me an announcement, and I want to um, I'd like for us to just join in prayer before we begin our service this morning. I guess uh, there's a, a young uh, girl 16 years old in the orphanage down in Mexico, and her name is Itzel, and uh, she has been diagnosed with melanoma cancer. And so, why don't we just uh, stand together and just really lift our hearts uh, to the Lord. Um, You know, He is still the great physician. The Bible says that uh, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, and forget not all of His benefits, um, that He forgives all of our sins, and that he heals all of our diseases. And so let's just keep that in mind as we're praying this morning. Father, we lift up this young lady. We ask you, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just come upon her right now. And God, just with a touch, just like Jairus said, Lord, you don't, even, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say in a word. And Father, we want to say on a word this morning, heal that young woman, Father. Touch her and bring healing and restoration, bring resurrection power into her life, Lord. We ask for your touch in her life today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, guys. God bless you. I'm glad you're here this morning. I believe that um, I think you're going to be blessed. I know you're going to be blessed because when the Word of God is open and we look at the Word of God, we're blessed. But before we get there, let me just uh, point out a couple of things. Well, I think today's the deadline for signing up for the Passover Seder. And so there's a sign-up sheet out there if you want to come. that would be next Friday night, Good Friday in the evening, uh, Passover Seder. If you've never been to a Passover Seder, you're missing it. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. You know, just kind of it's so rich in the history of um, our Jewish roots. Uh, so that's, uh, that's this coming Friday. And then uh, we have uh, baby dedication on April the 19th, and then on April the 26th, if you've never been baptized or you were baptized when you were a little kid or you were sprinkled and it wasn't your choice, remember that Jesus was 30 years old when he got baptized. His, his parents didn't take him to get to be baptized you know, when he was younger. It's a choice that you make. It's a decision that you make. And so we'll do baptism right here, right underneath that mic um, on the 26th. So be in prayer about that. Also on, uh, what's that? Make sure the water is too hot. Yeah, really, really. I mean, it was totally a hot tub the last time we got in. Um, and then uh, on April the 13th, uh, there is a Wycliffe Banquet, and we'll have more information over that on that over the next couple of weeks. But that is at the Marriott, and so um, there's a, there's a poster on the bulletin board if you're interested in that, and we'll we'll get some more information out to you. Um, so. We are in uh, Luke, I'm I'm gonna start, uh, it's uh, Palm Sunday, uh, and uh, oh, let's see, Christy, are you here? Is she here? Where is she? Christy Baca. Stand up right there. You know, Christy, look, listen, listen, you don't even know why you're clapping. Wait a second, wait, wait, wait. She took a group of cheerleaders to state and won number one in the state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And some of those kids are with her. Congratulations. Great job. Great job. <laughs> All right. We're proud of you. All right. So we're in Luke chapter 19. Um, and let me just kind of back up and just talk about uh, where, where, we, where we are at this place in Luke's uh, gospel. Uh, In the first part, you can really break uh, Luke's gospel up into four divisions, four parts. In the very first part, we see Jesus uh, called into the ministry and he begins to pick his disciples and uh, eventually the the apostles. And then the second part, Jesus declares, he begins to preach, the kingdom of God is at hand, and he begins to declare through word and power, through word and miracles, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. And then when we get to chapter 11... We see in chapter 11 that um, the religious leaders begin to reject him. They say that the miracles that he's doing are being done at the hand of, uh, or through the power of Beelzebub, the chief of demons. And then by the end of chapter 13, the offer of the kingdom is withdrawn. And Jesus says to them that your house will be left to you desolate. And so we've got, there's 24 chapters in Luke and these last five chapters really center around the last four or five days, from nineteen to chapter 19 to chapter 24, center around the last four or five days of Jesus' life, all right? And so, when he comes in, he comes into, uh, uh, into Jerusalem, and this is, uh, you know, this, uh, what we call Palm Sunday, or the triumphal entry, um, you know, is the last week of, of his life. Now you in order to understand this in its fullness and its richness you need to understand that you know when we talk about Passover that we we talk about Jesus being our Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 it says clean out the old yeast yeast uh, is representative of leaven or sin in our lives and so um, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says get rid of the, the sin in your old life and, and receive this newness, the newness of God this new life that only Jesus can bring. I know that many of you have tried for years and years and years, you've tried to be good, you tried to put on your best you've tried to overcome, you've tried to you know, overcome sin and you just you're in, in just a, you know, a downward spiral, this death spiral it just doesn't get any better you're in the same place today as you were five years ago or ten years ago, still confessing the same sin over and over and over again, and what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, and I'll talk more about that next week, but it says that you indeed uh, are unleavened for Christ our Passover, hear that, Christ is our Passover, uh, has been sacrificed, and so uh, I want to read to you from Exodus chapter 12 and just kind of remind us of what this is all about uh, remember, the children of Israel had been in captivity for over 400 years or about 400 years uh, in the land of Egypt. And uh, they were slaves to the Egyptians. And uh, God said that at an appointed time, he would send a deliverer. Or he raises up... Um, he raises up Aaron and Moses and uh, to bring the children of Israel out. And goes through the plague of blood and frogs and darkness and uh, the flies and hailstorms, all of these things. And then the uh, final plague was the death of the firstborn son. And um, so in Exodus, we pick up in Exodus chapter 12. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month uh, of the year to you speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day, now keep this in mind, on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next door to his house take it according to the number of persons and according to each man's need, and you shall make your count for the lamb. And your lamb, listen to this, this is important. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from sheep or from goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly, the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. All right. So what you do is you go out and you, uh, you know, you survey your herds. And you pick up, pick the, you know, the best lamb that you got. It's got to be a male. It's got to be under a year old without spot or blemish. And you bring that lamb into your into your house. You actually bring it into your house and you examine it for four days. All right. For four days, you look at that lamb. All right. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus, our Passover lamb, comes in to Jerusalem. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he is being inspected for four days. He's been watched. He's being questioned. We'll get into that in just a little bit in just a little bit. But I want you to, you know, I want you to see this, that our Passover lamb, just like the little lamb that, you know, one would take from his flock, the Lamb of God, the sinless. Remember what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You know, uh, He is the sinless Lamb of God, and he's being examined. He's being examined and cross-examined by a group of leaders, the group of leaders in, um, in uh, Jerusalem. And so we pick up. Um, we'll pick up at uh, Luke chapter 19. Um, in Luke 19 it says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And if you were in Israel, no matter what the topography is, I mean, the Jews considered Jerusalem the center of the universe. And so no matter where you are in Jerusalem, uh, like I said, no matter what the topography, you always went up to Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, there's a reference to that because in the, in the last days, during that uh, thousand year reign, uh, and, in, and even prior to that, when God is bringing forth judgment upon the earth, it says every mountain and every island fled away. There were no mountains and, and islands. They, all, uh, they have all fled away. But there's one mountain that still stands, and that's Mount Zion. Uh, And so uh, I I think it has a reference to that as well. So they're they're going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, and that was on the east side of the temple, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which uh, no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're untying it, Say the Lord has need of it, and those who were sent ahead uh, went and found it just as the Lord had told them. Now, I, doesn't that, that seems a little odd to me. I mean, if if I, if I was one of those two, I mean, I'd be asking some questions. You know, I mean, I, people get arrested for stealing horses. I mean, you could be hung a couple of you know, hundred years ago. You know, in the old west, you'd be hung for stealing a horse. Uh, so, uh, I'm wondering about the conversation that these two disciples are having, having along the way. You know, is this exactly what we say? Should we say, should we, you know, talk to the owner and kind of explain to him a little more in detail? But, you know, the Word of God is so clear. And uh, it was clear then, it was clear to these disciples, and it should be clear to us today, that we need to obey remember what Jesus said when when Satan was tempting tempting him to take the stone and turn it into bread. And, And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every, everybody say every, every word of God we live by every word of God and it's not like a la carte it's not like the cafeteria line you know what I'll take this I'm going to live by this but I don't want to live by that I'll live by this I don't want to live by that we got to live by every word of God and so it says um um and if anyone asks you why you're untying it say that the Lord has need of it and so those who were sent ahead found it just as he told them this is amazing the knowledge of God you know that uh He is uh, omniscient, all-knowing. He knew that the colt was going to be there and uh, knew that somebody was going to come out. It says, as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, exactly what Jesus told them to say. The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus and they threw their their cloaks on the colt. That means they took their garments off, kind of like making a saddle or a saddle blanket, and they put Jesus on it. Now, this comes from, this was a prophecy that comes out of Zechariah chapter 9, uh, verses 9 and 10. And uh, Zechariah is written uh, between uh, 480 B.C. and 520 B.C. There was a a, a passage, there was a a portion of it that was written uh, about 20 years earlier and then finished 20 years later. Uh, But over a 40-year period from 480 to 520 B.C., it was written. And this scripture says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion! Shout! O daughters of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Uh, He is just and having salvation, lowly riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, It's interesting that he's riding on a donkey. Um, You know, donkeys uh, uh, want a king. Or a prince or someone came into a city, typically that's what they would ride on. Donkeys or mules. You'll remember in 1 Kings chapter 1 that when Solomon was being, uh, during the inauguration of of Solomon, that David said, go get my mule. Not my horse, but get my mule. That a, a donkey or a mule represented coming in peace and in meekness. And then horses were represented with war. Um, we find that, that Jesus comes back in Revelation chapter 19. It says that Jesus will come back uh, riding on a white horse. Uh, those that are coming with him will be riding on white horses, uh, representing a com- coming back as a time of war. We see in Zechariah chapter 14, that t- talking about that time when Jesus comes back, that, uh, that the Lord will strike... Uh, the horses with blindness at that time so you can see the horse again represents war Uh, mules and donkeys represents coming in lowliness lowliness, meekness and and in peace Um, but this this is an interesting scripture because he talks about how you see your king coming and then verse 10 of that same scripture um, listen to what it says he says I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations and his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to to the ends of the earth. That's in Zechariah 10. So when you put those two scriptures together, you can understand that, you know, when the Jews and the religious leaders saw Jesus coming and then, of course, they saw him crucified and then they didn't see the rest of this scripture right here verse 10 being fulfilled because there was no peace uh, there was no peace to the nation there was no dominion of the Messiah from sea to sea and this is called the law of double, double reference you can have two scriptures speaking about the same person but at different times the first part of that scripture speaks about his first coming and verse 10 of that scripture talks about his second coming Uh, The law of double reference. Um, And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks. This is verse 36. uh, Their cloaks on the road. Um, I like... uh, how it's uh, translated in John chapter 12 we're reading out of Luke but in John 12 it says the next day a great crowd that had uh, come from the festival or for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and they took palm branches that's where where we get the name for Palm Sunday and they went out to meet him shouting Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord now, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, again on the east side, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles. Now, remember, we know that Jesus had gathered thousands. Uh, there was a feeding of 4,000. There was the feeding of 5,000. We know that his disciples and followers were in the thousands, the thousands of people Typically when we watch a movie like The Passion or some of the other, Jesus of Nazareth or The Greatest Story Ever Told, we'll, we'll see a handful of his disciples following him you know, as he's riding his donkey. But that's not the case. And it, the, the reality of it was there were thousands of people that were, were walking down the road shouting Hosanna and praises to Jesus, believing that he was coming in. That The crowd is thinking that he is coming in to take his place as, uh, as king, and Jesus knows that every step that he's taking is bringing him closer to Calvary's cross. And so, um, they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples joyfully began to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And uh, you know, from Zechariah, um, you know, um, it, 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 there, there's a gate there. It's called the Eastern Gate. And, um, you know, if you go to Jerusalem today, if you go to the, to, the, to, the, to the city today, you will see that the Eastern Gate has been blocked off. It has been walled off. You'll see, you can see the outline of the gate there, but its stone is filled in. And um, in front of the gate, there's a cemetery that has been placed there. Well, at 4 A.D., the Muslims, knowing this knowing the, the prophecy about the Messiah coming and coming in through the eastern gate, walled this gate off and then they planted a uh, put a cemetery in front of it because no good Jew would walk through a cemetery to get through that gate because you would be defiled for seven days which would prevent you from coming into the city uh, and into the temple area and so um, they you know, they, they, they did this not knowing that Jesus had already, the Messiah had already entered in to the, uh, through the eastern gate. And uh, obviously not knowing that in the body that Jesus has right now, um, you know, no gate or solid wall or rocks are going to stop him from doing whatever he wants to do. Amen? All right. I mean, just like he appeared to the disciples on that first day after resurrection, the doors were locked. It says the doors were locked and they were in there because of fear of the Jews. We're going to be talking about that some more next week as well. And he just locked doors don't stop won't stop him. He'll keep coming. He's coming. All right. He's coming. He's coming more ways than one, right? All right. So, the 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 crowds are shouting these praises and uh I mean, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, some of the Pharisees, listen to this, and the crowd said to Jesus, teachers, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, the Pharisees recognized that these words were directly related to words speaking about the coming of the Messiah. Uh, Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. And in Psalm 118, it says the same thing in verse 26 and 27, if you want to look there in your Bible. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we will bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made light shine on us. And with bows in hand, we join the festal, uh, festal procession. And that's exactly what they were doing. They had the palm branches and they're walking before, laying those down and and letting Jesus come and and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, for those of you that are good Bible scholars, you will remember that back in um, Luke chapter 13, when we went through the book of Luke, remember what Jesus said, because they had rejected Him. And the kingdom was no longer being offered. The kingdom, the offer of the kingdom had been withdrawn because they said that the work that Jesus had done was the work of Beelzebub or the chief of demons. And He says, because you have rejected Me, the kingdom is now being withdrawn. And uh, and right at the end of, of chapter 13 in Luke, you will see your house is, He says, your house is being left to you desolate and you will not see Me Until you say, until the entire nation says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we see that fulfilled in Zechariah chapter 12. It says that they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is when the whole city is surrounded by the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan himself. Wars come against the city of Jerusalem and, you know, they're, they're, they're desperate. They don't know what to do. And I believe that they look up and they see Jesus coming in the clouds with great glory and, and they see the, the wounds in his hand. And they see written on His vesture, King of kings and Lord of lords. They see that He is the Word of God. And then they recognize, and they just break down. The whole nation in a moment just breaks down. And, And they recognize that for thousands of years we have rejected Jesus. That this story about Jesus being the Messiah was true and we rejected it all of these years. And the whole nation, it says, they begin to mourn. Like one mourns for his only begotten son. And the house of David it speaks about. David being the king. And it talks about the house of Nathan. Nathan being the prophet. It talks about the house of Levi. Levi being the priest. And it talks about the house of Shimei. Remember, he's the one that when Absalom uh, took over the kingdom and drove David out, that uh, Shimei was the guy that, you know, was throwing dust up in the air and throwing rocks at David. And, you know, one of David's men said, let me go take his head off. And David said, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Let's just get out of here. And, uh, but all of them will look up, those four classes of people representing, you know, the, the kings and the priests and the prophets and, and just the regular common people, and everyone will look up and see, they will look upon the one that they have pierced and they will begin to mourn, amen, and then God just suddenly, just in a moment, the Bible says, how can a nation be saved in a moment, and that's exactly how it happens, in verse 41, Oh, let me just back up just a second. He says that, you know, the religious leader said that, uh, that, or Jesus said to them, if these don't cry out, even the rocks would cry out. You know, how could that be? Well, remember if you'll remember back in when John the Baptist is, is baptizing, and uh, he says, uh, you know, the, the religious leaders, they, they thought they, they didn't need Jesus. And a lot of people feel that way today. A lot of your friends, a lot of your family feel that they don't need Jesus, that they live a good enough life. And John is baptizing, and it says that some of the religious leaders came to see him, to see what he was doing. Not to be baptized, they just wanted to observe. And John looks at them and said, he calls them a brood of vikers, who has warned you to flee from this wrath to come? And then John goes on to say, do not think to say that we have Abraham, as our father. And essentially what they were saying is. That we can put our faith in. We're, we're, we're Jews. We're saved because we're Jews. We're saved because we're sons of Abraham. We don't need Jesus. We don't need his blood. We don't need his teaching. You know we, we, we're already. We, we've got it made. We, we're, we, we have salvation because we are sons of Abraham. He says. And John says to them. Do not think to say that we have Abraham as our father. Out of these stones. Out of these stones, God can raise up children to Abraham. And it's kind of a reference. Jesus was saying the same thing. If these don't cry out, if, they, if these don't shout out, you know, that uh, the, the very stones that are uh, gathered around you will begin to praise God. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, now just think about this. Notice this contrast here. That the crowds are, I mean, thousands of people are shouting Hosanna and praising God, and they're full of praise and they're excited and they're joyful. But it says at the same time that as He saw Jerusalem and He saw the city, that He wept. I mean, what a contrast. You've got Jesus crying and the crowds cheering. You know, the, the crowd's thinking he's coming in to, to sit on the throne of David and he's going to be our new king. And Jesus is weeping because he knows that the crowds have rejected him, that ultimately the nation and the religious leaders had rejected him from being Messiah. And he says that you, even you, had, uh, if you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. And the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. We know that that happened in 70 AD when Titus, the Roman general, surrounded Jerusalem. And uh, they say there were over 2 million Jews. That's what historians believe. That there were, when they finally broke through the walls, there were over 2 million Jews that were killed. And he says, they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And so, he has been rejected by the leaders in the nation, and uh, the offer of the kingdom has been withdrawn. Um, we see that in Luke 11 and Luke 13. And then he goes on to say, um, and this is a, uh, another scripture from Psalm 18, that messianic psalm. The stone with the, which the builders, being the religious leaders, rejected, Jesus be, being the stone, has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, we, we know every day is the day. Alfred, where are you? I know this is one of your favorite scriptures. Uh, he reads it to us every Wednesday morning. But we know that, that every day is a day that the Lord has made. But in Psalm 118, what he was talking about when he said, this is the day that the Lord has made, he was talking about the triumphal entry, talking about Jesus coming in. This is the day, this is the appointed time that Jesus is to come into the city. And so uh, we know that uh, um, it says that every day that Jesus was in the uh, temple, uh, the chief priests, the teachers uh, of the law and the leaders among the, among the people were trying to kill him. There was no, no, there was no, they weren't trying to just subdue him. They weren't just trying to quiet him. They weren't just trying to kind of, you know, move him back up into Galilee in the northern part of Israel. They wanted to kill him. And it's, and it's plain in the word of God right here. Every day he was in, the, in teaching in the temple. But the chief priests, notice the groups of people. The chief priests, the teachers of the law sometimes called scribes, the leaders, other people were trying to kill him. All of those, uh, among with the uh, Sadducees and the Herodians, are, are the, the four different uh, groups of people that were opposed to Jesus. And uh, they were different relig- religious branches within, um, within the Jewish system. And so, in John chapter 8, it says that they, they asked this to try to trap him in order that they might have some evidence to accuse him. Now, remember, we're, we're talking about Jesus coming in. He's coming into the city, and he's coming in just like that Passover lamb, and he's coming in to be examined. And I'm going to just quickly run through some of the examination that Jesus is enduring during these last few days of his life. One day, Jesus was teaching in the, uh, the people in the temple in the temple court proclaiming the good news and the chief priests and the teachers of the law together with the elders came to him as three groups of people chief priests teachers of the law and the elders came to him and said tell us by what authority do you do these things and they said who gave you this authority and he replied I will ask you a question tell me Someone, have you ever heard that story that, you know, the one rabbi was, or somebody was asking this rabbi, and they said, why? and Jesus did this a lot. You ever notice that? He'd ask, somebody asked him a question, and he'd ask a question back. And he says, you know, why, why do you guys always do that? You know, why do you, why do you uh, answer a question with a question? And the guy said, why not? <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> that's what Jesus did. He did it a lot. He said, uh, so who gave you this authority? And he replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven are of human origin, and they discussed it, and I can see them just kind of like a little football huddle, Jesus over here, and they're kind of gathered together, and say, well, if we say, you know, if we, if we say that it was from heaven, he will say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say that it's of human origin, all the people, remember, if not just the, the disciples, but there's thousands of people there that are clinging, it says they're clinging to every word that Jesus spoke, he says they're afraid of the people. And so the people will stone us. And so what they ended up saying uh, says, uh, we don't know where it came from. And Jesus said, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And so they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't tell him if they would have said it. And remember, that's what John said. John pointed him out and saying, this is the Messiah. This is the son of the living God. He was pointed out by John the Baptist. This is the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. And so Jesus is saying, you know, uh, John, you know, John has already uh, a born testimony of me. Remember when Jesus was being baptized by John, that there was a voice from heaven. And that voice from heaven said, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Amen. All right. Okay. So there's one of the tests. And, you know, of course, they walked away. You know, it's like, man, we thought we had him thought we had him right there. Uh, by the way, just, you know, just so, it, it, was, it was, you know, uh, just giving some credit to the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, if you went into a town and you wanted to preach, people would want to know, you know, well, who'd you learn under? You know, you know where, where, where'd you learn these things? Uh, Paul was asked this question. Um, and and actually gave the statement in Acts chapter 22. Remember when there was a there was a crowd there trying to stone Paul, they're trying to put him to death for preaching Jesus. And it says, "Brothers and fathers, this is from Acts 22:1. Listen now to my defense." And when they heard that uh, him uh, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet because they assumed that Paul was somebody else. He says, and Paul said, "I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, and brought up in this city, and I studied under Gamaliel, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. So Paul's saying, you want to know my credentials? Here it is. And Gamaliel was a very well-known and respected teacher um, of, uh, of the Old Testament. It says, and then the Pharisees went out. That was the first test. Here comes another one. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words clearly. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians, if you don't know who they are, uh, the Herodians were a group of Jews, um, like the, uh, there were two uh, there, were, there were actually two high priests during the the time of of Jesus. There was a high priest that was uh, appointed by Israel and and done according to the customs of the law. But when Rome came in, Rome was a little skeptical of the Jews and concerned, and especially during this time of year. Uh, I mean, you know, this was a time of year where the jews did not like the roman oppression there were probably you know uh, hundreds of thousands of people that came up to celebrate the passover uh rome was concerned that you know maybe these crowds might get out of control there might be a, a revolt and overthrow of the government and so you know their their army uh, roman the, the garrisons their legions were you know on high alert you know it's a, you know this is a um a red flag moment, you know. Everybody's got their antennas up in case something goes wrong. But Rome also appointed a uh, a priest as well, and they also appointed a governor. Herod was ap- appointed by uh, Rome to to kind of govern govern and manage, um, you know, the people. And so the Herodians uh, didn't believe in all of the Bible, um, and and while the Pharisees were just, they would not. You know, they wanted nothing to do with Rome. The Herodians were, okay, well, we'll believe the Old Testament and we're going to kind of rely on Rome as well. As a matter of fact, going back and part of this I left out, remember when Jesus went into the temple and he began to overthrow the, the, the money changers tables. Well, what would happen if you, you, know, if you were a Pharisee, had to have a Roman coin or denarius in your hand would be idolatry because it had the, the inscription on it was Caesar's inscription. And they believed that that was an idol. So when you came, if you came from, that was kind of the currency of Israel. But within the temple area, within the walls there, they used their own currency. And that's why you had to go exchange your Roman money for the money that was acceptable in the the temple. And in doing that, the religious leaders, you know, there was always a cost associated with that. We talked about this as well. They would also examine your lamb and, you know, uh, invariably your lamb would have some kind of problem with it. You know, I don't quite like the way that it looks. But they had, you know, those that sold lambs and goats and, you know, the, the, the pigeons and doves for the offering. And so they would send you over to do a trade-in. And you could go trade-in your lamb with a few dollars more and get a lamb that had already been approved and accepted by the priest. And that would be a good lamb for you to bring in and, and um, you know, use for your offering. Then what would happen is the guy that came in right behind you, the same problem would have, they'd have the same problem, and they'd send him back over and they'd exchange the land that he brought for the land that you would just taken in. So uh, they had a little money thing going. And so that's why Jesus was so upset with them. And he um, he says to them, they sent disciples, the Herodians and the teachers, and said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth and you aren't swayed by others because you pay no ten- attention to what they, uh, who they are. Tell us then, what is uh, your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrite, you're trying to trap me. Now remember, this is the examination. This is the Passover lamb being examined by the religious leaders, just like they had on the same day. By the way, on the same day that Jesus came into town, that you know, this is that the tenth day of the month. Uh, the tenth day, you're supposed to separate your little lamb. Uh, there was also a national celebration on the day of Passover. And so the leaders would bring in one lamb, and they brought that lamb in at the same time that you know, that Jesus is coming in riding on the donkey. The leaders, the religious leaders, had a lamb that they brought in that they were inspecting for this four-day period as well. But meanwhile, they're examining him and cross-examining him, and he says, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a coin that you, that you use for paying taxes. Then he brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's they replied. And he said to them, "So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God." Now, you know, I mean they th- I am thinking they th- they think in their minds, "Okay, we're bringing the Herodians in" we got the Herodians with us, and if he says that we shouldn't pay tax, these guys that are loyal, these Jewish guys that are loyal to Rome, are going to go back and say, look, this guy's trying to overthrow the government. Uh, he's, he's suggesting that we not pay taxes. And so, but, so when they ask him the question, and Jesus says, well, whose inscription's on it? They said Caesar's. And he says, give back in taxes to Caesar." You know, the, the Pharisees considered this coin absolutely worthless. They, didn't, they, they wouldn't even have it in their possession. So it was worthless. And so if you're giving something that's worthless away, if you're giving it, giving it back and, and you consider it worthless, you've given nothing, really. In, in essence, you've given, no, you, you've given nothing. And so he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Now Listen. Now, this is the group that has come in to trap him. It says, and when they heard this, they were amazed and they left him and went away. And then finally, this last point It says some of the Sadducees who say there is no, resurre- no resurrection. Remember, we've got the scribes and we've got the Pharisees, we've got the Herodians, and now we have the Sadducees. And the Sadducees not only did not they not only believe that there wasn't a resurrection, they didn't believe in angels or devil or demons. They didn't believe in any of that. They were very liberal in their beliefs. And they came to Jesus with a question. And they're going to try to trap him. The Herodians have come to uh, try to trap him. The scribes and the Pharisees have tried to trap him. And now here come the Sadducees. All of this is, again, the Lamb of God, this little Passover Lamb being inspected, being observed. Is there any fault or flaw in him that we can find any fault in him? And some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow um, and raise uh, up the offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and the third married her and in the same way, seven died leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since seven were married to her? This comes from Deuteronomy chapter uh, 25 if you want to look this up this law about a brother marrying his uh, dead brother's wife. Um, and Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those that are considered, those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come, talking about the kingdom and heaven, those that are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor will be given in marriage. They can no longer die, for they will be like the angels. And they are God's children, and since they are the children of the resurrection. But in the account of the the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, well said. And listen to this. After this point, it says, no one dared to ask him any more questions because he sent them away. I mean, I mean, just like, you know, they were dumbfounded. They could not catch him in a trap. And so the Lamb of God, this Lamb of God that God sends in on the tenth day of the first month and is examined by the religious leaders for four days, um, passes every test. And not only does he pass the test with the religious leaders, but we see him standing before Pilate in Luke chapter 23, verse 14. And Pilate says, You brought this man to me as one who turns the people against the government. And here in your presence, I have examined him. I have examined him. I have examined him and have found him not guilty. Of the charges you bring against him, totally examined. The Lamb of God. All right, guys. That's what Passover is about. And next week, we understand that uh, after the Passover meal that he has with his disciples, um, that he goes out to the garden to pray. He's arrested in the garden. And uh, that night, uh, taken before the chief priest, uh, they bring in uh, false accusers whose stories will not mesh or agree. Uh, and yet, when they ask him if he is the Son of God, if he's the Messiah, he acknowledges that he is. And for that, they say that he has blasphemed God and that he is worthy of death. Uh, we'll pick up there next week. But before we close, I want to go back to the part of the story about the two disciples. The two disciples that went to get the donkey, the colt. Let me just read it to you again quickly. It says, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever uh, ridden. Untie it and bring it, bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, the Lord needs it. And those that were sent head went and found it just as he had told them and as they were untying the colt its owners asked them why are you untying the colt and they replied the Lord needs it and they brought brought it to Jesus and while I'm wrapping this up I'm going to ask our worship team Benji if you guys will come back crank up the volume a little bit this time too I know (laughs) <laughs> I know you heard nothing like that, probably ever. Uh, but uh, we, won't, we, won't, we just want to go out with some shouts of praise, you know. I mean, you think about those, those guys, you know, you know, seeing Jesus in that procession. But as I read that passage of Scripture, I read it again because I'm going to just ask, ask you something. There are going to be times in your life, there's going to be a time in your life When God asks you to do something that seems so ridiculous that your rational mind is going to kick in and you're going to try to justify it or explain it away. And you can see this throughout the scripture. You know, God telling Noah to build a boat when there had never been rain in the middle of the desert When God told Abraham to leave his country, not knowing where he was going to go or what he was going to find when he would get there. When God told Joshua, I just want you to march around the walls of Jericho seven times. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Why would you want to do that? When God tells David to get a stone and go face a giant. God, he is so big. He's so big. You know, some people said that David could have said that, you know, he's so big, you know. Uh, he's so big, and you'd never be able to kill him, you know. And uh, David said, "He's so big, I can't. I can't help but hit him, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, he's a giant there. I'm not going to miss." And, uh, you know, uh, others in the Bible, you know, just think about it. You know, just uh, Peter, go down and throw your your hook in the sea and and catch the first fish. And it's going to have a gold coin in its mouth. And there are going to be times in your life when God asks you to do something that seems so off the wall that you're going to begin to question, is this really God? Is this really God? But Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they listen to me, and they hear me, and they follow me. And I just want to encourage you guys, you know, um, maybe you you seem distant from God today, and, you know, all of us get in those places where, you know, sometimes we're hot, we're cold, we're hot, we're cold. You know, if you seem distant from God today, you know, uh, there's a scripture from Revelation that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care how bad you've been or what you've done or when you've done it or who you've done it with. I, I, I don't care about that. I just care about the one that's knocking at your door right now wanting to come in. And if you're willing to, I want you to stand with me for just a second. If you're willing to let him come in, I mean, he'll, he'll break the door down. I mean, he is anxious to come in and be with you and change you and heal your brokenness and forgive you of all your sin, all your yesterday sin, all your today sin, all your tomorrow sin. He is willing and able to forgive you because he is the spotless Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. And so, let's just rejoice, let's praise Him, crank it up!